right. Pop culture quiz. Pop culture quiz. 1980. I know a lot of you weren't alive in 1980. Some of us were. In 1980, the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences instituted a new award at their award show. And their award show is called what? Anybody know? The Grammys. Anybody familiar with the Grammys? 1980, they instituted a new award. The category was Best Male Vocal Performance. The winner? Anybody know? Let me see if I can do this. Let me see if I can play a little clip of it. Huh? Anybody recognize it? It's coming. You may be an ambassador to England of faith. You may like to give up. You might like to think. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long finger puzzles, but you're gonna have Nobody? That was not me. Anybody recognize that? First of all, seems a little odd to me that that was the best they had that year. That's just me. Right? Anybody know the artist or the song? Oh! People are saying Bob Dylan. People may be right. In 1979, folk artist Bob Dylan recorded and released his Slow Train Coming album. One particular track on this soon-to-be iconic album was the song we just played called Gotta Serve Somebody. It's odd because the album Slow Train Coming, and hence the single Gotta Serve Somebody, were Dylan's first offerings after he said he was born again that he had become a Christian. Odd that the music industry would recognize a, quote, Christian song as the best rock vocal performance by a male. Odd that Dylan would record a Christian album after being such a big part of the folk and hippie movement of the late 60s and into the 70s. Odd that a blatantly Christian message would resonate with the music industry of that day and age. The song's pretty simple in its arrangement. You kind of felt the ditty, right? Kind of bluesy rocker. Let me read you some of the lines in it, because there's some odd lines in it. Listen to this. You might like to wear cotton. You might like to wear silk. You might like to drink whiskey. You might like to drink milk. I'm not making this up. You might like to eat caviar. You might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-sized bed. Again, I'm not making that There's more odd lines that we're not going to get into. I, I encourage you to look it up when you leave here today. But the chorus says this. Whether you like cotton, silk, whiskey, milk, caviar, bread, floor, king-sized bed. The chorus says this. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. 
but you're going to have to serve somebody. Hmm. Simple, to the point, and that is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Dylan, in his trademark groaning, tortured voice, gave a perfect synopsis of what the Holy Spirit is telling us today in Romans in the final paragraph of chapter 6. I want to take a look at it. What we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 14 and go to the end of the chapter in verse 23. And I believe what we'll see in this passage is the same truth that was contained in the Grammy award-winning song from 1980. You're going to have to serve somebody. If you would, stand with us as we read the Bible together, as we give attention to the public reading of the Scripture. And I cannot believe we're at the end of chapter 6 of Romans, by the way. It's amazing. Let me pray. Now, let me read, then I'll pray. Got ahead of myself there. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But... Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me pray. God, we like a lot of things. We may like cotton and silk. We may like whiskey and milk, caviar or bread, sleeping on the floor or sleeping in a king-sized bed. But this morning, God, the truth is we are going to have to serve somebody. I pray that you would show us the truth of who we have served, who we are serving, who we will serve. And I pray that your word would drive it home to us in power, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, by way of review, I do want to go over our outline, which I hope you're familiar with by now. Look at, And then we'll look at some more specific details that you're hopefully familiar with as well. And... Through this process of review, we're going to get a sneak peek of where we're going to go today as well. We are in chapter 6, which puts us smack dab in the middle of point 3 of our outline. Point 1 was sin, the need for being right with God. Let me stop real quick. The theme 
of Romans is being right with God. So these points emphasize different points of being right with God. And the first one was the need for being right with God. And what we saw in that is everybody who has ever lived on the earth, who has ever been conceived, was conceived in sin after Adam committed the original sin. Okay? Sin was entered into the human race through one act of disobedience. We'll talk about that some today. So everybody was imputed the unrighteousness of Adam. So sin, the need for being right with God. Point two is justification by faith, the means for being right with God. The only way that we can be made right with God is justification by faith. Faith in the finished work of Jesus. There is no other way. Which brings us to point three, blessings, the results of being right with God. And what we saw in chapter five was Paul taking some time to, to help wrap our minds around what he had just laid the foundation for through uh, chapter 4, and he started giving us analogies of what it means to be justified, how it works out into our lives. Which brings us to Asian Station. That process that helps us to know that we are right with God, expiation is God taking the guilt of our sin away from us. Propitiation is God pouring out His wrath for our sin upon the person of Christ. Jesus Christ hung on the cross and He took your sins upon Himself. And God punished those sins in Christ. That's propitiation. He stood in for us. And God punished Him instead of us. Imputation, we saw some of that with Adam. We were imputed, given Adam's unrighteousness, but we're in this process we're given the very righteousness of Christ, which is... If we never move past imputation, we'd be all right because we realize that we've been given the very righteousness of Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Wait, there's more. Which brings us into the state of justification. I am right to stand in God's presence. I have the right and I am right to stand in God's presence. Why? Because I've been given the righteousness of Christ. After we were justified, a judicial proclamation justified, right with God, we begin the process of sanctification. And sanctification is a process of us becoming more and more like Jesus in our everyday lives. We talked about the difference between objective truth, which is justification. You are justified. You have the righteousness of Christ. That's the truth. Whether we experience it fully or not, sanctification is the process of starting to walk that out, to actually see it happen in your lives as you become more and more like Jesus. And this is tricky. Sanctification is tricky because what we don't want to do is make sanctification a process of earning your salvation. That's already been settled in justification. But if sanctification doesn't follow your supposed justification, your justification never happened. That's what we're going to talk about some today. So sanctification is not you earning your salvation. It's the proof that you were justified. As you start to become more and more like Jesus in your in your talk, in your walk, in your thoughts, in your silk, in your cotton. So sanctification leads us to ultimate salvation. And let me say this, as a precursor to something that we're going to talk about today, there is no salvation without sanctification. And I'm not saying you've got to be sanctified to be saved. I'm saying you've got to be sanctified to be saved. Stay with me. Now what we talked about in Romans 6 so far is there's a process of taking this truth, the truth of our justification, and then starting to walk it out. You have to know it. 
You have to believe it. You have to reckon it, or the ESV says consider it. You have to write it into your account. And after that, then you can begin doing it, which is what Andrew started last week bringing us into, the process of doing. We talked about knowing the truth, believing the truth, reckoning it into our accounts. Nobody writes like that, do they? Knowing, believing, reckoning, and that leads to doing. So what we're going to talk about today is what does it look like to do this thing? Because we can talk all we want about knowing it. We can say we believe it. We can say we wrote it into our account. But until we start doing it, it's ethereal and it's meaningless. So, we're going to do this a little bit different um, than we have in the last weeks. I don't have time today to go word by word, verse by verse in this 10-verse passage. We're going to take them in two or three verse chunks. um, Kind of like short paragraphs at a time inside the paragraph. I tried to find the break in this paragraph to split this up into at least two messages, and I just couldn't find it. It's one good big thought. So I hated to separate it. So we'll take the whole thing, get the main thought, and then see how it brings this chapter to a close before we jump into Romans 7, which should really excite you. You're like, why should I be excited about Romans 7? Trust me. You should be excited about Romans 7. Because it's awesome. And that's next week. So, I did include verse 14 in this week's passage, though it was in Andrew's uh, message last week, because it sets the table for us. We will take it by itself. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. Now, you'll note that this is not a command. He is not saying, don't let sin have dominion over you. There's a difference, right? And he's not saying don't be under law, but be under grace. He's making statements of fact for the believer. Listen, believer. And and let me just say up front, if you're not a believer, hopefully what this message does is make you really want to be a believer because there's some really good news contained in what we're going to look at this morning. So if you're not a believer, listen. And ask yourself, is this something that I want? And then we'll talk about that at the end too. So, he's not saying don't let sin have dominion over you. He's not saying don't be under law but be under grace. He's making statements of fact. For the believer, sin will have no dominion over you. For the believer, you are not under law, you are under grace. Now this is also setting the tone for what will be a pattern of contrasts in the rest of our passage. And what contrast do you see here in verse 14? Not this, but this. You're not under law, but you are under grace. So the contrast is between being under law and being under grace. Now what's it mean to be under something? I mean, that's, you know, that's under the table. That's not what it's talking about. To be under law means to bear the weight of the law, to be under the authority of the law. What does it mean to be under the law? Under their authority, under their power. The verse started by saying, sin will have no dominion over you. So you won't be under sin or under law. But what are you under? That should be pretty exciting to you, by the way. 
We are under grace. We're not sin, not the law, but grace. And that's a foundational contrast as we move forward. And keep in mind, we're going to see a lot of contrast today. So you are not under the law. You are under grace. Now, it would be real easy to take that statement and say, okay, I'm not under the law, which means what? I can do whatever I want, right? There's no law that impedes me. I keep Not many of you drive through Sophia, West Virginia, do you? There's like two policemen in Sophia, and they love to write tickets. And it's 25 miles an hour through Sophia. It's hard to do 25 miles an hour. So I always come back to that analogy and I always think, if there was no law, I could drive 55 through Sophia and they could never write me a ticket. Now, is that smart? No, it's not smart because there are businesses, there are homes, and there are people crossing the road. Is it smart to drive 55 miles an hour through Sophia? No, it's not. That law is in place to help protect me. But without that law, I feel a freedom and I start to do stupid stuff. And without a law, you know what we start to do? Stupid stuff. I'm going to keep... I like that. Stupid stuff. So what happens is when when Paul proclaims here, no law, we get all stupid. You're like, well, I don't get stupid. Yeah, you do. You do. So since we're not under law but under grace, how shall we live? That's what the rest of our passage will deal with. So let's look at the passage from this point. Keep in mind that we're talking about you got to serve somebody. We're talking about how our slavery leads to eternal life. Setting the table for you there. How last week's call to presenting our members is the beginning of our sanctification. And all the while we're going to be looking for the contrasts that help bring all of this into focus. So here we go. Let me read verses 15 and 16. No law. You're not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, first off, Paul asks... What would be a normal question coming out of his statement that we're not under law but under grace? And the question is, and he's, he's proposing it as I'm sure that he's been had it proposed to him before. Grace is a scandalous thing. When you start preaching grace, people start getting all up in arms. Well, you can't just tell people they're under grace. You've got to tell them they've got to do something. Unapologetically, Paul says, no, you're not under law, but you're under grace. And people are like, well, you're just going to give people a license to sin. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, and that's called antinomianism. That is no law. I don't have a law anymore. I'm a law unto myself. I can do what I want to do. And that's what people are accusing Paul of. So if, if, you, if you don't hear that statement, you're not under law, but under grace, and start to think, well, I can start to do whatever I want to do, you're not hearing it right. Because that's exactly what it's saying. It's saying you can do whatever you want to do. So, shall we sin? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? 
I mean, if we don't have the requirements of the law to keep in order to keep in order to be righteous, can't we just sin? Can't we just do what we want and be a law unto ourselves? And this is very similar to what he asked at the beginning of the chapter. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, you'll see it in verse 1. 6 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 1 asked if we should sin so that grace could abound. And here in verse 15, he asks, Are we to sin because we're under grace? And the answer to both is the same. And it's exclamatory. By no means. And that phrase is emphatic, and it's as pointed as it can be. It's the same phrase that Paul used in chapter 3 when three times Paul asked if God was unfair or if the law was nullified by grace. And this phrase by no means is a strong phrase, and it's as strong as it can be used. As strong as it can be used. It means may it never come to be or it could never come to be. It denotes an impossibility. So should we sin since we're not under law but under grace? And the answer is, are you ready? No! That's what Paul's saying. And I'm not doing that for dramatic effect. I'm telling you, that's what he's saying. As emphatically and as powerfully as he can say it, the answer is no. May it never be. But why? It should be impossible to even think about, but it's not. But why? Because Paul points out here that you are a slave to what you present yourselves to. So if you present yourselves as slaves to sin, if you sin just because you can, you get what sin brings. And what does sin bring? either of sin which leads to... Is that what you want? You want death? You're like, some days it might be alright. Is that what you want, church? Is that what you want, believer? You want death? If you want death, then present yourself as a slave to sin. But, in a clear contrast, if you present yourselves as slaves to obedience, you get something else. It's not death, but what is it? That's not life. Be careful. Look at the text. Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So there are two contrasts here. Sin is contrasted to obedience... And death is contrasted to righteousness. So what do you think God's will is for you, Christian, believer? Sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? So which should you present yourselves to? Sin or obedience? Pretty simple, right? But how? That's the rub, right? You're like, yeah, I would choose righteousness. I would choose obedience. But how do I do it? Verses 17 through 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Did you see the bump set spike here? I mean, really? Paul, under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit, sets this up perfect. I mean, really, do you want death or do you want life? Let me tell you how you get life. That's exactly what he's doing here. Okay, so we want to present ourselves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So, do we try real hard to present ourselves? Do we wake up every morning and go, okay, today I'm going to do better? Which is what we talked about at the beginning of the music. Are we just going to try real hard to present ourselves? Is there a five-step process that will get us there? Actually, presenting ourselves to obedience, which is essentially our sanctification, is something that, listen, while we are called to do it, is only made possible one way. Look at that first clause in verse 17. But thanks be to your effort, your church, your baptism, you're trying real hard? No, no, no. But thanks be to God. If we are going to be sanctified, which is where we end up at the, verse, at the end of verse 19, if we're going to end up sanctified, it's going to be because God made it possible. And what did God do here? Look, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now let me go back and recap that. Because he just said a lot. By God's doing, we, believers who had been slaves of sin, became obedient. Now we'll get to what we became obedient to in just a second. But look at that. God took slaves of sin and made them obedient. I want that to soak in for a second. God took slaves of sin and made them obedient, not just externally, but from the heart. To what? To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. They became obedient to truth to doctrine. And let me tell you what, I spent too big of a segment of my life, my Christian life, decrying the dangers of doctrine. Doctrine divides people. We don't need doctrine, we just need more Jesus. And that is a lie. 
You say, how can it be a lie that we just need more of Jesus? You know how you get more of Jesus? Doctrine. There's no other way. There is no other way. It's not your experience. It's not your ecstatic utterances. The only way you get more of Jesus is through sound doctrine. It is true that we need more of Jesus, but not at the expense of doctrine. You became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. They devoted themselves to what in the book of Acts? To the apostles' experiences? No. To the apostles' teaching. That's why we do this every week. That's why we do this on Wednesday night. It is important. It is irreplaceable in your life. Not that I've got all this knowledge. God forbid that that be the truth. But in this Bible, that's the standard of teaching to which we are to be committed. And it happened as God made us obedient to that standard of teaching. And it's doctrine. And having been set free from sin, which means it happened, it occurred in the past, what is the result? (laughs) And having been set free from sin, you became a slave. Yes! Always what I wanted. I've always wanted to be a slave. I was a slave. And I became a slave. Woohoo, right? <laughs> Congratulations, you've become slaves of righteousness. I went from being a slave to being a slave. Now really, what does that mean? It means just what it says. It means you were a slave of sin. God gave you a new heart to become obedient to the teaching He entrusted to the apostles, and you were set free from sin as a slave master to righteousness being your slave master. Now, is that is that a win? Is that good news? You bet it is. Keep reading. And after saying he's using this analogy of slavery for what reason? Because of your natural limitations. He said, I'm trying to communicate to you in a way that you'll understand. That's what that little phrase is about there. So after he says that, he points out that when we were a slave of sin... We presented our members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. And what did it lead to? Leading to more lawlessness. So when you were a slave of sin, you presented your body as a slave. You didn't have a choice. You were in the dungeon. You were in chains. And you committed your life to sinning, to lawlessness. And that lawlessness led to more lawlessness. Sin begat sin. It went from bad to worse. But when we got our new master, righteousness, we presented our members to righteousness. And what was the outcome of that? So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to what? Sanctification. As we presented our members to righteousness, we started becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more righteous in our everyday lives, which is exactly what the process of sanctification does. It makes us more righteous in our outward behavior, more righteous in our thinking, more righteous, hear this, in our affections. 
in our conduct more like Jesus in our everyday lives. And let me tell you what, that is great news. Like It doesn't feel like great news because I don't know what's going on here. It is great news and it is like justification. Hear me say this. Your sanctification is like your justification the very gift of God. Thanks be to God that you became obedient from the heart. Thanks be to God that you presented your members as slaves to righteousness. Thanks be to God that that led to sanctification. Stay with me. We're not done. Let's read verses 20 through 23 and finish up. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? That's not coming up, is it? Yeah, this. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, <gasps> eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, now that's a strong group of verses right there. So, we don't go on sinning since we're under grace. We saw that earlier. That was verses 14 through 16. We became slaves of righteousness leading to sanctification. That was verses 17 through 19. So now what? Verses 20 and 21 take a look back at when we were slaves to sin. When we were slaves to sin, we were free in regard to what? We were free in regard to righteousness. Righteousness had no power over us. Righteousness had no pull for us. We weren't attracted to righteousness. We were slaves of sin. And we're like, righteousness? No thanks. Listen to me. We've said this before. I want you to get it straight again this morning. When you were a sinner, before you were born again, you were not morally neutral. With the option of choosing righteousness... That's the doctrine of total depravity. We saw way back in chapters 1 through 3 that everyone was born a sinner and as such, listen, the wrath of God was rightfully reserved for them. Everybody. Again, get a hold of that truth. We are born as slaves of sin. We don't have a choice. All the way back to Adam, when sin entered the world through one man's act of disobedience, the human race became enslaved to sin, bent naturally towards sin. And that is awful news. It's the worst news possible. We are conceived in sin and are thus, listen, the enemies of God. And sin is our master. 
Paul would say later in a letter to Timothy that those who are not born again are held captive by the devil to do his will. And in that state, you are free in regard to righteousness. You don't have any desire for righteousness. We can talk about that more later, but I think that's as plain as it can be. The unregenerate man is not attracted to righteousness at all. He's a slave to sin. We don't have a choice. We're conceived in sin and are thus the enemies of God. Sin is our master, and we did things that were sinful. Only. All we could do was sin. John MacArthur puts it this way, quoting him. You say, you mean before you're a Christian, all you do is sin? That's right. All you do is sin. Even your good deeds fall into the sin category because they're not for the glory of God. And when men do good deeds just so they can be good men, that's called pride. And that's a sin. His quote still. What amazes me is how much men love their slavery. Have you noticed that? They don't even know they're slaves to sin. They love it. Men love darkness rather than light. End of quote. Any acts that resembled anything righteous were like filthy rags, is what Scripture says. Sinners sin and have no ability to do righteously or to be righteous. And what we did do, things we are ashamed of now, has as their end death. Now, pop quiz, show of hands. Does that make you uncomfortable? Doggone, it makes me uncomfortable. Good. But, as verse 22 begins, something miraculous happened. We were set free from sin. But we weren't just free from sin, we were purchased by a new master. Look at verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Slaves of God. We saw this in part when we talked about being slaves to righteousness, but here it's personal. We aren't just slaves to an abstract concept like righteousness, but we are possessed, we are owned, we are purchased by God Himself. Exclamation point. And in contrast to death, which was the fruit of being slaves to sin, we now get fruit that leads to sanctification which we've seen, but here it's clear that sanctification has an end game. And what is the end game of sanctification? (laughs) Eternal life. Eternal life. Now there's a contrast. The fruit of death contrasted to the fruit of eternal life. And then it all wraps up in verse 23, which is the right hook, the uppercut, the haymaker. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this is so much more than just a verse on the Romans road. 
This is so much more than I've ever seen it to be in my life. So much to say about this verse. Let me try to get it across as best I can. It starts with our favorite word from Romans, which is what? For. Really, how many times have we started a message or a verse with the word for? For. (laughs) For means because. So we came out of verses 21 and 22, which was contrasting death as the fruit of our slavery to sin and sanctification being the fruit of slavery to God. And this is true because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here we have two contrasts. Wages contrasted to the free gift and death contrasted to eternal life. And that is monstrously huge. The wages of sin is death. Wages are the just results of work done. You give your time and talent to an employer, they give you what they agreed to give you as recompense for that time and talent. I give 40 hours of my life a week to my employer. They give me money in return. It's what I have earned. It's what I deserve. Here, sin is the employer. And the wages that sin pays is what? Death. You served sin with your life, and sin pays you in return for that service with the wages that you've earned. The wages, listen, that you deserve. And those wages, that wage is death. And we do deserve death. Remember chapters 1 through 3? There's none righteous. No, not one. The venom of asps is under their tongue. And they are us. All of us. Let me say as clear as I can say it. We deserve death. We earned death. And now here, dare I say, is a huge but. In contrast to death, in contrast to getting what we deserve, the Holy Spirit says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In contrast to wages, we get a free gift. Did you hear that? Under sin, we got what we deserved. But when we are born again, when God saves us, He does it as a free gift. We can't earn it. We cannot deserve it. We aren't getting what is rightfully ours. We are getting what God alone can give us. It is the free gift of God. And what is that gift? Eternal life. We who were to rightfully receive death as our due recompense receive the free gift of God, which is eternal life. Life that is abundant in its scope and never ending in its length. 
And man, I want you to let that soak in. The free gift of God, which is eternal life. And listen, where is this life found? In Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Master, our Boss. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, in our union with Jesus. Remember that? We receive freely and fully, listen, we receive freely and fully His very life as our own. His life in us. His life for us. God's life in humans who have been created in and recreated in His image. Eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord, our Master, our Owner, our Brother, our Friend, our God, our life. What greater gift could God give us? So, let me try to sum this up. Let me try to see how we can apply this. Let me bring the how into this. Summing up, we were slaves to sin. We became slaves of righteousness. When we were slaves of sin, we had no choice but to sin. Now that we are slaves of righteousness, we are called to present our members as slaves, which seems to imply that we have a choice. Right? Now that disturbs me. Dadgummit, God, and I don't mean that irreverently, I'm just just exclaiming, if I couldn't help it when I was a sinner, why can I help it now that I'm not a sinner? Why don't you just make me a robot? Why don't you just fill me up with Jesus and me walk like this? Blessed be the poor in spirit. That would be so much easier. Wouldn't it? Do you ever long for that? God, just make me what I need to be. Take over my mouth. Take over my hands. Take over my eyes. Take over my computer mouse. God, just please do something because I don't, even in my unborn, even in my reborn state, I am still pulled to sin. Would you just fix me? And God says, yeah, I'll fix you. I'll fix you real good. I'll set you on the path of sanctification. You know what the problem with sanctification is? It's not instantaneous. It is the process of God making us more and more like Jesus every day. But why do I have a choice? Why do I still desire sin while I still have a desire for righteousness? Will I ever reach the state of sinlessness? Nope. We will still sin. But now that we are slaves to righteousness, listen, we are free to finally choose righteousness. Again, I want to quote John MacArthur. He says this, Before you were a Christian, you weren't free. People say, oh, I don't want to give up my freedom. Boy, I'm not going to become a Christian and get constricted and all that. You weren't free. 
You know what? You're, you're an absolute bond slave to sin. It's all you ever do. People think they're free. They're not free. That isn't freedom. He goes on. When you became a Christian, you became free. You're free for the first time in your life. Not free to do wrong, but free to do what? Right. For the first time. Do you get that? Write that one down somewhere, he says. That's very important, very basic. When you became a Christian, you say, Oh, I have liberty in Christ. Now I can do whatever I want. No, no. No, you're not free to sin now. You're just free for the first time in your life to do what's right. And he concludes it by saying, And that's a nice freedom. So, because you were justified, that sets you free to choose right. Justification leads to sanctification. Sanctification leads to eternal life. Eternal life is the gift of God, and it is seen in us and through us, listen, or we don't possess it. If people don't see eternal life in you, you you don't have it. I'm not saying perfect obedience. I'm saying they see something in you, they're like, wow, there's something there. Justification leads to sanctification. Sanctification leads to eternal life. So without sanctification, there's no what? Eternal life. So walk backwards, up or down the rung with me, however you want to do it. Eternal life, justification... I'm sorry, eternal life, sanctification, justification. So you start out with justification, a legal proclamation by God justified, righteousness of Christ given to you. You take the next step, which is toward sanctification, which is progressively becoming more and more like Jesus because you see the truth, you know the truth, you believe the truth, you reckon it into your account, and you begin to do the truth. That's sanctification. And as you proceed up that ladder... The end game there is eternal life. So without sanctification, there's no eternal life. That is not you earning your salvation. It's you working out your salvation with fear and much trembling because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. And yes, every now and then you say, you know what, sanctification, I like this. God says, that's not sanctification, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry that I did that. I want sanctification. And you continue that upward climb. Listen to me. I want you to hear something very important. One of the application points from this passage is, listen, simple, sin is not okay. Oh, and we sugarcoat it. Man, I fell today. Man, I slipped up. Man, I messed up. No, you sinned is what you did. Call it what it is, and it's not okay. Because sin is not the proper path to sanctification. And you can choose sin, unfortunately. But it's not okay. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now that's a call to strive for holiness. That's what sanctification is. And without it, you will not see the Lord. Let that sink in. If you're not striving for holiness, if that's not your desire, you're not saved. 
and you're not going to see the Lord. You are a slave to sin, and the end of that is death. You say, well, I kind of have a desire for holiness. Good. With everything that God has placed within you, which is His very life, His very spirit, His very power, strive for holiness. Because without it, you will not see the Lord. You said, but justification is by faith. That's true. And it's a free gift of God. But if you're not striving for holiness, listen, you have not received that gift. And boy, you're just a legalist. You throw your tomato any way you want to throw it. I don't care. I'm just telling you what the book says. Commit yourself to that form of teaching to which you've become obedient to. Sin is disobedience. Striving for holiness is obedience. And now you're a slave of righteousness. The answer to all of this, I think, the end of all of this is found in one place. Second application point. First one was sin is not okay. The second one is this. The answer to it all, the end of it all, is found in one place. And it is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear me say this as plainly as I can say it. The only answer to the need for sanctification is found in our union with Jesus Christ. You were baptized into His death. You will be raised in a resurrection like His. So walk in newness of life now. That was the message of the first part of Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue to sin since we're under grace and under law? May it never be. How can you who died to sin continue to walk in it? It's preposterous. Now does it say that you'll never sin again? It does not say that. Are you walking in sin? If you're walking in sin, you are not saved. And the end of it is death. You'll get paid on payday, and your payment is death. Congratulations. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're going to serve somebody. You are serving somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan was right. Right now you are serving somebody. For eternity, you will be serving somebody. For the believer, thanks be to God that we became obedient from the heart. Thanks be to God that we are slaves to righteousness. Thanks be to God that we are united to Christ. Thanks be to God that we are serving Him and the outcome is eternal life. Free to be a slave to righteousness and to serve the Lord. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Let me pray. God, I'm glad that you have set me free. And yes, I say that plainly, wholly, without question. You have set me free to be a slave of righteousness. That does not make me better than anybody. It makes me the recipient of a free gift. It makes you 
glorious. It makes you beautiful. It makes you good and benevolent. And it makes you the very power source for this life that I'm seeking to live. God, yes, I sin a lot. When I am dry, you fill my cup. When I fall down, you pick me up. And you put me back on the path of righteousness. And you promise me eternal life as the end game of my sanctification. Thank you for your faithfulness. And God, if there are those who sit here this morning that have not been set free from the power of sin, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of that sin. I pray that their dungeon would be filled with light, that their chains would fall off, and that they would get up and follow you. You save. You give new life. And the power of God unto salvation is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. May that gospel be seen and understood and responded to this morning. And may you get glory out of it, God. That's the end game. Eternal life is about glorifying you. May we do it today and every day. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us for a benediction? And I can't help it. i got to use the one that I use most of the time. It just works, fits so well. Now, to him who is able, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you all.